0: It's good to be in His presence always. You know, he travels with us. He goes with us. But have you ever noticed there are times in your life where the presence of God is stronger? You ever notice there are times in your life where you feel like you can feel His presence? Doesn't mean He's not with you all the time. Does it mean that God loves you a little bit more when you feel His presence? Or does it mean that He's decided to be a little bit stronger? Or perhaps does it mean that you've decided to come a little closer you know it's like it's like flying towards the sun the sun's not coming any closer to you but as the closer and closer you get the warmer it is the hotter it is the more you feel it i know none of us have flown towards the sun but in the same sense you sometimes feel like that when you're spending time in his presence when we say spend time in his presence that's not to say that He doesn't travel with you. It's not to say He doesn't go with you wherever you go. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's everywhere. David said, where can I go from your presence? No matter where I go, even if I were to go to the depths of hell, you'd be there. But here's the deal. There are... He's always there. And this is the, the greatest thing is that He's, he's the one that... Uh, he's the one... I mean. If there is an uneven relationship, you know, have you ever had a relationship in your life where where you wanted to be around somebody but they didn't really want to be around you, and you know maybe they were just a little bit cooler than you, you're always trying to impress them, and you know maybe maybe some of you guys out there, maybe that was your wife, you know, have you ever? I've had plenty of men tell me you married up, Jonathan, and I'm okay with that. You tell a guy he's married up, and he's happy because he feels like he's won. I've won. You tell a woman she's married up, and you you better run, right? That's not good. <laughs> Men like to, to to believe they married up, and uh, it, it's it's you know it's something to be proud of. They're happy that their wife is prettier than they are. They're happy that their wife is uh, has got skills that they don't have. They're happy about that. Um, and uh, maybe you were one of those people, and you just pursued that that girl. And, you know, maybe you were an uneven match, and she. Uh, she was just way out of your league, but you just kept at it. And uh, be, even though she was out, eventually she relented or whatever. Maybe God spoke to her and said, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll get better. Just, just take this guy in. <laughs> Isn't it the funniest thing that God, the creator of the universe, is the one that has pursued us? Yes, we pursue Him, yes, but He's already laid the, the path for us to pursue Him. He wants to be found. He's pursued us first. That's the thing. We didn't, we didn't chase him first. He chased us. He's been after your heart since the beginning of time. He created your heart. And when you strayed for him, he came after you. It's like the sheep that ran away and he went, that, that shepherd went and found that one sheep. Even though he had 99 others, he went and found the one. And uh, isn't it crazy that that's the way this relationship works? That the creator of all the universe is the one that's always available for you. And we're the ones that say we're too busy at times. So when we say we're in the presence of God we're, we're, I, I, I spent time in the presence of God, we're not saying that there's anywhere you can go that's away from his presence. But we're saying that there are times where you can set everything else aside and lean into who he is and focus completely on him. And the more you do, the better you'll be. The more you do that more than TV, the more you do that more than, more than anything else, the better off you'll be in this life because he is the source of life. You know, sometimes we just, we have, we have questions that have been bugging us for years. Maybe, maybe there are specific questions that need answers or maybe there are questions about your life. Maybe just simply, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm headed towards. I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And you spend all this time asking people their opinion and they give you nothing. You spend all your time going on the internet hoping to find something. You get more confused than you ever were. But just a little bit of time in the sincere presence of God with nothing else distracting you can wrap all of that up. Isn't it amazing? Now sometimes more questions come up as you're in the presence of God. He opens more doors. You don't feel like... I've never left the presence of God feeling like I had it all figured out. But I I do feel like... Sometimes when you spend time just with God and you block everything out, I always leave feeling safe. I always leave feeling like I know that this is going to turn out. I've never left worried. And I bring my worry to that sometimes and I cast it onto him. And he says, give your worries, give your cares to me because I do care for you. And that's the coolest thing. And tonight we're going to talk about something that really isn't anything new to any of us. Can we? Is that okay? Sometimes we we bring up new things and go, whoa, I never heard that before. And that's awesome. But there are times when we need to just get back to the foundation of everything. You know, sometimes the the simplest things are the the most complex. Sometimes the foundational things are the things you have to hear more than everything. And so we're going to get back to just the the meaning of life, I believe. And on Sunday morning, we talked uh, about Paul's statement that he said in 1 Corinthians 9, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. That is a jarring statement if you actually listen to it. If you skim over it like you skim over so many other things, I skim over things all the time. If you skim over all that, it just sounds like he really likes the gospel, like he really cares. But when you really hear what he says, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. That says to me that there's nothing in his life that doesn't line up with his purpose in life. There's nothing in his life that's just there. Everything, every sincere decision. Now, I'm sure he had fun. I'm sure he spent a day relaxing. I'm not saying that, that you know, it's, it's, it's a bad thing for you to take a vacation. Of course, you don't ever have to take a vacation without God. He wants to go on vacation with you. He, I mean, spend that time with him uh, away. And a lot of times, I, I've heard from God clearer than, When I went somewhere else, just because you're out of your routine, you're out of your surroundings. That's why God said to Jeremiah, I've said this before, but God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, go to the potter's house and I'll talk to you there. And of course, he had to talk to Jeremiah to tell him to go to the potter's house. So you'd think that you could just finish the thought right now. But sometimes leaving and going somewhere else actually will do you some real good. So if you're you're in a rut, and uh, you feel like every time I pray, every time I read my Bible, it's just difficult. First of all, get in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Ask God to, be, to, to guide you and to open your eyes. But then, hey, it doesn't hurt to change scenery for a minute. Go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. Just go outside. Do something to, to change things up, and you'll be amazed at how it shifts your mind and allows you to think clearly and, and, and really listen to God. And so uh, in all of this, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. That sounds like we said on Sunday, it sounds like he's obsessed, right? This sounds like an obsession. And when I say someone is obsessed, in our world, that's hardly ever a good thing. Right? Because it means you're there's a there's a missing, there's something that's unbalanced. You're off balance. If you're obsessed with somebody, you're a stalker. If you're obsessed with something, you're, you're, you're kind of weird. You know, you're just, you're a little bit of a fanatic. Because it's off balance. There's nothing balanced about being obsessed with other things. But the thing is, if we were really obsessed with God, that would be the perfect balance. As weird as it sounds, the world will think that's creepy Because the world is off balance. But let me ask you this for a moment. What if I said, you know that Chance, he's a strange guy. He is totally obsessed with breathing. He's doing it all the time. I never see him not breathing. He's obsessed. Someone needs to have a talk with him. Sit him down and say, Chance, there are other things in life besides breathing. That's weird, isn't it? Because breathing, he was created to breathe. I don't say, oh, you know, (laughs) I mean, Kelly, she is obsessed, obsessed with eating. And you go, now hear me out. Hear me out. I picked Kelly because she's so fit. Because I didn't want anybody else to think, wait a second. So I was like, okay, Kelly's fit. So imagine... If I said that, that'd be weird. If I finished the thought, you don't know, let me finish. If I finished the thought and said she's obsessed with eating, she does it every day. Like every day she eats something. Can't she just take a day off? Well, I'm sure she does. I'm sure she fasts and pray. But I mean, I mean she seems to eat every day, sometimes multiple times a day. It's weird, isn't it? Because we were created to eat. But, you know, you were created to be in the presence of God all the time. It's not weird that you want and think about Him all the time. Because it's more real than breathing. The Bible says in Him we move and breathe, live and breathe and have our being. You were created for this. I want to read you something from Revelation 4. Can we do that? Now We may skip a little, around a little bit tonight. You know how I like to take one section and really focus on it. But tonight we might go a few places. Revelation 4, verse 11. Wow, we should go before that because this is so awesome. Verse 8. Four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. Now that's creepy, isn't it? That's a little bit weird. Those aren't the angels you see in the Christian bookstore. These are these are other little creatures in heaven, <laughs> the ones with uh, the ones with you know six wings with eyes on their wings. Uh, that's not something you want in your baby's nursery. <laughs> and uh, but they're full of eyes around and within. Figure that out. And it says this: and day and night they do not cease to say. This is all they ever say. They never stop and take a break. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne. Saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Let's read that again. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So, it kind of puts God right at the center of everything, doesn't it? Because that's where He really is. That's where He belongs and that's where He is. You wouldn't get very far in university trying to convince people that everything revolves around earth because that that idea went out when we figured out that the earth and all these other planets in our solar system revolve around the sun. That's such a minuscule example of how everything revolves around God, that He is the center of everything. And the Bible says He holds everything together by His Word. What an amazing thought. I want to read this to you, this this verse that we just read. I want to read that to you in the King James Version if I can. Revelations 4.11 says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they were and were created. So it says, for Your pleasure we were created. That's an amazing thought. That was our purpose. By His pleasure and for His pleasure we were created. We weren't created. If you look at what Adam did. Adam, yes, he had a job. Do you know, Adam got a job right away. He was not a bum. God put him on the planet Gave him a job before he gave him a wife. There's a lesson for you young men, right? You know, <laughs> God gave Adam a job, said take care of the garden, tend the garden. Then he gave him a woman and said it's not good for man to be alone. But look, I mean, that Adam had that, but you know, that wasn't his whole, whole reason for existing. Because you know what? God created the earth for man, not the man for earth. God, it's not like God created a planet and said, oh... It's going to be such a hassle for me to make sure all these plants stay alive. It's going to be such a hassle for me to make sure that the fruit comes out. Because, I mean, he could do that easy, right? God could take care of the planet without any trouble. It would not be a hard thing for him. Who wouldn't have to lift a pinky? I mean, he already holds the universe together with his word. Would it be really that hard to keep the planet moving? No. So he didn't create... He didn't create man because he needed somebody to take care of the world. He created man to be with him. That fellowship, that pleasure. And he takes it's an amazing thought that the God who is perfect, God who has everything. You ever, ever thought about the fact, what do I give the person that has everything? And and I mean, you ever had a friend that has every gift that you possibly could have? Maybe you've had that problem shopping for your dad. The problem with every dad in the universe is. Not every day in the universe, but most of them. They're incredibly hard to shop for because what they need, they go and get right away. And what they don't go and get right away but want, the reason they don't have it is because it's so expensive. (laughs) So it really eliminates anything you can ever get for your dad. My best bet was watching those Canadian Tire and Home Hardware commercials where they'd come out with a new weird little tool. And I'd try to get it before he saw the commercial. That would be my Father's Day present. i just go and get it like, of course he needs a, a screwdriver that's also magnetic, that also has a helicopter on it. Well, who doesn't need that for those times where you're cleaning the tr- eaves troughs? I mean, these are the things that, that uh, don't, don't try to figure that out. These are the things that, that you'd have a problem with. And, and maybe you thought, what do I get the person that has everything? And, and God, who has everything and who is perfectly complete, He's not insecure and needs somebody to compliment him so he created you. That's not it. But God who is perfect actually desires you. God who has everything wants you. More than money, he doesn't need money. He's got all he wants. The reason he gets your money is so he can have your heart. More than all these things, he wants you. Because he doesn't need anything. He just wants you. And so the whole purpose in life was to be with Him, was to fellowship with Him, was to know our Creator and to be one with Him. When sin came, it messed that up. We know that, right? Separated us from God, threw off the whole order of things, and we were broken, and everything else was broken because when you lose the whole center of everything and you throw that away, stuff breaks, the world is broken because we lost what, it, what life was about. And so the Bible says that when man sinned, he died because he was separated from life. But what did Jesus come to do to bring us back to God, to reconnect us? I want to read that, verse, that section of verses that we've read probably a hundred times. But let's read it again to refresh your memory. Where, you ask? 2 Corinthians I thought we'd read it a hundred times. You just turn there. Praise God. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14 starts with this. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. So there are those that are still dead and there are those that live. What's the difference? Who, who lives and who dies? The ones that believed in Jesus receive eternal life, right? That's what the Bible says in John. It says, To all them who believed in Him, He granted or gave the right to become children of God. So the key was believing and, and that's what separated you from everybody else. That's what separated you from, uh, you know, all the other zombies walking around, is that you believed in Jesus. So you had life. And it says, now, they who live, so that's all of us that have believed, all of us that have Jesus in us, they who live might no longer live for themselves. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? Is that our punishment? No. Because if that was our punishment... We were living for ourselves when we were in the world, now that we got born again. He wouldn't punish us now that we got born again. It's not a bad thing to stop living for yourself. Is it because we owe Him something? Well, yes, we do owe Him everything, but that's not why He says that. You were not created to live for yourself. He was always going to take care of you. You were created for His pleasure. We've said this. I remember we we talked about this a lot about a year ago. But have you ever thought of tools that are used for the wrong reason, that were created for one thing, and they do that one thing really well? you ever tried to use a Phillips head screwdriver in a Robertson? Is it Robertson or Robinson? Robertson. In a Robertson screw. Have you ever tried that? It's not successful. It's not a good thing. I've stripped a lot of screws when I was a kid trying to make things happen. That tool was created for one purpose and it does it really well. But when you lose that purpose and try to hammer stuff in with a screwdriver, we've all maybe tried that at one point <laughs> where you didn't have anything else. You tried and you, it does not work well. You ever tried to use a screwdriver? I mean, if you just try, and then that's even when it's kind of in the same genre. But imagine you start trying to brush your teeth with it or you try, start trying to play the drums with it. There are things that really don't work now. So things seem to work really well when they do what they were created to do. The world is, and I say this very confidently, unsatisfied. They're very unsatisfied. They may act satisfied, but if they were really satisfied, would we have to go all our lives trying to fill this hole with something? I mean, would we go all our lives trying to find things to make us happy? No, we would just have joy. Whether we lived in a hut or a mansion, we'd have joy. Whether or not we ever, whether or not we saw that commercial and went out and bought something or didn't, whether or not we had that extra relationship in our life, whether or not anybody ever complimented us, we would be happy. The world is broken because they lost what they were created for. They lost The very center of everything. And it says here that they might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, doesn't just know Christ doesn't just love Christ, but is in Christ. He is a new creation or creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God. Which things? The old things or the new things? The new things. These are all from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've talked about this several times before. But reconciling us means bringing us back to God. We were separated. He brought us back. Of course, we've talked about this. Jesus fixed what Adam broke. He he reversed the process and made it even better. And so we've been brought back to God. He reconciled us to himself. And then he gave us the ministry. That means the ability to offer it to other people. To be reconciled to God. And it says, namely, here's the ministry, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him and becoming righteous changed everything because it was our unrighteousness that divided us from God so becoming righteous through Jesus put us back together with God Now I don't know if you if we can really grasp how big that is sometimes because the way Jesus was able to do everything he did was through the Father because he and the Father were one But in John 17 he says I pray that they would be one Just as you and I are one, I in them and you in me. So the unity that Jesus had with God, He offers to us through His Spirit. He offers to us freely. And that's a big deal. It's okay to be obsessed if this is the point of life. It's okay to be obsessed with Jesus if He's the whole, if He is the purpose and the whole, uh, I mean, He's, Jesus is, was before the foundation of the world. He was through it. He was the, I mean, his death and resurrection was the event that all of history hangs on. That's okay to be obsessed about. What else would you be obsessed about? Have you ever thought when Jesus said, and he gave the four different hearts, he said, there's the hard heart. That's the person that comes in and doesn't doesn't even hear the word. Hears it, but doesn't believe it. It never even comes close to sinking in. He says there's the shallow heart, the heart with stones and the ro- rocks in shallow ground. And that's the person that has a good time at church but never really does anything with it. And When persecution comes, they fall away. Then the third one always grabs me more than anything because I think I can identify with it more than anything. He says there's the thorny heart that receives the word. It sticks around and we can assume because of the previous illustration that even when persecution came, they stuck it out. But it wasn't persecution that stopped his heart. It wasn't unbelief that stopped his heart. It was the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, choked out the word of God. I started to meditate on that recently to think about the fact that something could choke the word out. And I thought, That's odd, because I've always talked about it, I've always preached it, I've always read it, but I've never really thought, what does the word need? Do you know what I mean? Like, I thought once it was in my heart, it just kind of does its thing, right? How could you choke the word out? Like, if all these things, which the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and desire for other things, what do they steal? They steal your time, they steal your energy, they steal your thoughts, your emotional... I mean, they just drain you, right? They... they, they take your affections. They pull you in different directions. Have you ever felt like you were pulled in all these different directions? Do you know when you're pulled in all those different directions, something's happening. The Word is being choked out. Does the Word need space? Maybe it needs a little space in your life. Maybe you need to clear out some stuff in your life. But here's what it needs. It needs attention. Because the Bible says that we're not to be hearers only, but doers of the Word. Not just doing because we know we have to do it. Not just doing because people will see us and if we don't do it, they'll know we're, we're not being good Christians. That's not it at all. It, doing the Word is part of who we are. It, when we, because James says, when he talks about the person that doesn't do the Word, he says it's like a man who looks into the mirror and then will looks away and immediately forgets who he is. So what does that tell you? When you do the Word... That's who you are. That's what you were created for. And when you stop doing the Word, you forgot who you were. You forgot who you really are. And You have to look at the Word and find the mirror again and look and say, who is this? Who am I? And when you do it, that's somebody who's, who knows who they are. Have you ever thought about the fact that God is love? But He's not just love. And, I mean, God is love. And you say, well, does He love... Does God do loving things because he's love? Or do we say God is love because he does loving things? Both are true. He is. I mean, let let me put this in a simple way. He is what he says he is. He is his word. He is his actions. You can't separate God from his actions. What he does is who he is. What he says is who he is. You see the reason that's hard for us to understand is because we are full of, the world is full of hypocrites. The world is full of people that that put up a front and want people to believe something about them, but but on the other side are actually something else. Do you ever hear somebody tell you I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites? That's all, it's an old lie and it is a lie and I'll tell you why because the world is full of hypocrites. The only person I can think of that never was hypocritical was Jesus Christ. So, if you're tired of hypocrites, follow Jesus. If you're tired of hypocrites, find some believers that mean what they say and say what they mean and do the word. You know, next time someone tells you the church is full of hypocrites, it's become very en vogue to kind of say, yeah, but, yeah, I know that's rough, isn't it? You know what? It's not exactly true anymore, or even ever was. There's always hypocrites everywhere. But true followers of the word, I find, are becoming less and less hypocritical all the time because they're being changed. So next time, have some guts and stand up for your brothers and sisters and go, that's not true. We've, 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 it's kind of become the cool thing to say, yeah, it totally is, and get on their side and get a, sneak around the back door. But every now and then, why don't you just, just stand up for your friends? It's up for your brothers and sisters and go, uh, no, it's not. I mean, yeah, there's hypocrites everywhere, but hey, I'm part of a family that really, they're moving away from that. You know, they're becoming like Jesus, who is the most unhypocritical man in the world. So you couldn't separate Jesus from who he was. You couldn't separate who he was from what he did. You couldn't separate who he was from what he said. They were all one thing. I mean, he lived probably the most uncomplicated life on the planet. Because what he said was exactly who he was. He did exactly the things that a person like him would do. He wasn't secretly doing stuff. He didn't pretend to love somebody and secretly hate them. He just let God flow through him. And he was so full of joy. We've separated life into work and play. These are the things I have to do. These are the things I want to do. And if I do the things I have to do, I can afford to do the things I want to do. Right? You spend eight, nine, ten hours a day doing something you have to do so that you can take it easy the rest of the day and do something you want to do. But you know, Jesus didn't have such divisions in his life. There was no such thing as work and play. There was just life. Just life with the Father. He enjoyed his work. He enjoyed his life. The Bible said he had... Gladness above all his brethren. He was, a, he was full of joy. He was full of life. He never had a day in his life where he said, Boy, I'd rather be out doing something else than teaching these people or healing these people. He just did it. So is it weird to be obsessed with the kingdom? Is it weird to be obsessed with God? Could we be so obsessed that it takes over our lives? actually become weird to everybody else. Maybe it's them. Maybe, maybe, listen, let's make it as simple as possible. The way we were created was to always be in the presence of God. The way we were created was always walking in his pleasure, walking in his will, walking in his light, walking in his love. That's what we were created for. So isn't it the rest of the world that's become obsessed with earthly things? Isn't it them that's off balance and not us? But we let people intimidate us. You're a freak. You're too far out. You're too radical. You're fanatic. (gasps) You're a fundamentalist. (laughs) Do you know what? I've looked in the Bible and I can find one of the most basic fundamentals of the Bible is love. So I think a proper fundamentalist, if it's a biblical fundamentalist, should be one of the greatest lovers on the planet. And I mean love like Jesus loved. I don't mean love like Don Juan. You know? Like Romeo. A great lover. No, I mean, like, I mean like Jesus loved. Somebody goes up and blows up an abortion clinic isn't a fundamentalist. They've missed the greatest fundamental, which is love. Which is that Jesus came and he said, I didn't come to judge the world but to save it. Two of his disciples said, Hey, this village is ticking us off. Call down fire. And he goes, That's, he goes. you don't know why I came. You don't know what spirit you're of. You don't know why I came. I didn't come to destroy this world. I came to save it. So, can you be called a fundamentalist and still keep a smile on your face? Even though it's not hip, even though it's not cool, let's look at Colossians one. I want to, I want to really wrap this together. Colossians one, we actually read a few months ago, if you'll remember, and um, I want to go back to that because I've just become wrapped up in this thought of doing all things. Of having a life that is so totally consumed with who He is that we would just reject once and for all any degree of lukewarm Christianity and just become radical. Can we radicalize? Now, when the, the, you know, when the Homeland Security people say they've radicalized, that's not a good thing. That means, that means something's about to go kapow. But if we radicalize, the world around us would be transformed. The church, the early church was so radical that when they were brought on trial, they said these men have turned the world upside down. Only a few of them. They weren't a big church at the time. They were the minority. They were just more of a minority than we are. You think about it. We live in Canada, and sometimes we think like, man, those people in the States, they don't know what it's like. We are such a small fraction of the population. You're a bigger fraction than the early church was in the Roman Empire. At least, in, at least the first few, few years when they really started. And you know they turned the world upside down? Because one radical person who actually lives out the spirit of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the fire that comes with that, one radical person makes up for like a thousand unradical people. I mean, really, you, I mean, Jesus is a great example. One guy, I mean, one man changed The entire world. Could we do that? Well, praise God. Let's look at Colossians 1. I know this is not like rocket science. This is not deep, 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 deep theology. This is just very simple. Let's get on fire. Let's get radical. Let's throw off all of our chains of of what the world thinks we need to be. And let's just be like Jesus. Let's get crazy about this. Let's just go and and say, I am obsessed. I am totally obsessed with the kingdom. Jesus said, seek that first. Like, that's the thing you seek above everything else is the kingdom and his righteousness. Let's become obsessed with that. Where we just say, like Paul, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Or when he thinks he's, he's close to death and he's having to decide whether he lives or dies. And he writes his letter to the Philippian church and he says, to me, to live is Christ." To die is gain, and there was nothing else. To live as Christ, in other words, totally wrapped up and consumed with him and his anointing and everything he is. Or to die, it's gain because I yet be, to be with him. But there was no middle ground. There was like, to me, is live as Christ most of the time, do some other things. I mean, you know, have, have a life, obviously. I'm sure people have told you, once you really got turned on to Jesus, I'm sure people told you you needed a hobby. I'm sure people told you you need to back off a little bit. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's other Christians that say things like that. <laughs> Can I tell you, as a young guy, that when I was a teenager, really, kicked I, I just decided, you know what, I'm either doing this all or nothing. You've heard me say this before, but I decided, if this is anything, then this is everything. In other words, if God is actually real, and the creator of the universe, which I never doubted that he was, but at one point you have to say, if he really is, wouldn't he be the point of everything? I mean, the only way that half, halfway Christianity works is if we actually don't believe he's real. That's the only way that ever works. It's, it's, if we're actually just trying to keep a club going and we pay lip service to Christianity, then, then we could do it halfway. But when you really believe that there's a God... And, I mean, that He's the Creator and He's life and he's, He is the force that holds everything together, wouldn't life be all about Him? I mean, wouldn't it be, seem silly to do anything else? I think so. Anyways, let's look in Colossians chapter 1. He says in verse 13, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness. You were pulled out of the old way of thinking. You were pulled out of the old way of living. You were pulled out of the domain, which means the control, the lordship of darkness. That that darkness actually had a grip on you and you were rescued. You were pulled out of prison. And you know what? You don't need to try so hard to be like like you were back when you were in the world. You don't need to try so hard to be like your coworkers because they're still there. And, you know, it's kind of your job to show them what light is like. It says you were rescued from the domain of darkness, pulled out. I I imagine that'd be a dramatic rescue. That wasn't just a, hey, buddy, you want to come here? I mean, you were, this is a, I mean, special ops. He came in, grabbed you, took you out, busted down gates to do it. You were rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. He didn't leave you in some middle kingdom. He didn't like take you out of the domain of darkness and say, journey towards the kingdom of light. Someday you'll get here in the sweet by and by. No, he pulled you out of one kingdom and just as dramatically as you were yanked out of an old kingdom, you were put into a new one. There was no middle ground. There was darkness. There was light. It's okay if you took a radical shift when you got born again. It's okay to say they really changed. When you had your friend take you out to Starbucks and say, I have some concerns. You've really changed. That's good. If a man thinks he's a dog all his life, and you finally convince him he's not a dog, he's a human, wouldn't it be good if he changed? Wouldn't it be good if he started walking on two feet? Stopped eating out of the toilet? Cooked his food? You've changed. I really started to like the old Rusty. But I've changed. I'm a different person. He rescued us. He transferred us. Verse 14. It says, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, redemption was necessary To bring you back to God. Because it was the sin that separated you from God. Right? So now we have redemption. He bought us back. The forgiveness of sins. But that's not the end of the story. Because that was just the means to get you out of slavery. Do you understand? That was just the means to get you out of slavery and bring you back to God. But that was just the beginning of the process. Was being redeemed. Being set free. But there's even more. Listen to this. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created. By Him, everything was created. Both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. So we talked about, about a month ago, we talked about these three phrases. Everything was created by Him, Everything was created through Him. And everything was created for Him. And that is the secret to life. That is the beginning of life. That's the core of life. That's the only way that life really works. Is when everything is by Him, through Him, and for Him. Does that leave room for any sort of lukewarm lifestyle? Would you want any lukewarm lifestyle? I mean, if I... I, If you didn't have taste buds, and then you got healed and got taste buds, and all of a sudden you could taste pie, and you could take pizza, and you could taste maybe something healthy. And (laughs) in all of that, you finally could taste again. Would you want to only taste some days? And I'm talking about if you had access to the best foods. Would you want to only have that taste some days, or would you want it all the time? Remember when you first got born again. Can we just go back there for a minute? Maybe you said, I got born again when I was like four. I don't remember that. Well, remember a moment when you really, re, really realized it, really clicked that you'd been redeemed. How did you feel? I mean, I don't know. I, I, was a, I was a little boy. But I've had moments in my life, seasons in my life, where I just felt, I mean, I thought I was in love with Jesus, and I it just went even further. And I, but, but I've talked to people who were really dramatically in the world and then got born again, dramatically came to the, to the light. And, and maybe you remember that moment where you went out the next day and everything was different. It was like you couldn't think of anything the same, everything had a new flavor to it. It was like you saw color for the first time. You can have that every day. The Bible says that he died and we were raised with him so that we too might walk in newness of life, that every day you can act, you can feel like it was the first day you've ever been born again, like everything is colorful, everything is new. I'm not bored with anything. I'm excited by life because Jesus is here. In 17, it says this. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the center of the universe. As big as our universe is, and it's constantly expanding. If you've ever been to a science center and gone to the planetarium and watched as they zoomed out, and the first thing they do is they zoom out from Earth, and you see the solar system. And you think that's the most far-out thing you've ever seen. Until they zoom out from the solar system... And you see the Milky Way galaxy. And then they zoom out from that. You see that our Milky Way galaxy, which is infinitely bigger than we can even wrap our brains around, is but a speck in the larger field of galaxies. And then they zoom out from that. And as far as they can tell, and they know there's more out that they can't see. But we're just a speck in all of it. And you think about that, that all of that stuff in him is all held together by one word that he spoke. And when he said, let there be light, light never stopped expanding. Creation never stopped. Do you ever think about that? I don't want to get too far off of what we're talking about tonight. But have you ever thought about the fact that he started the process and it just kept going? And that everything holds together by his word? And it's all... I mean, he is the point. He is the center. He's the reason that life exists. Why would we be focused on other stuff? Yeah, it's okay to go to Disneyland. Hey, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to throw you out of the church. If you watched a movie... If you watch 10 movies, make sure they're good movies. It's becoming more and more rare, isn't it? But you know what? If the Lord said to you, stop watching movies, do it. Stop watching movies. Whatever he tells you to do. I'm not telling you there aren't other things, but I am telling you there's nothing else that matters. There's nothing else that really matters. So whatever you do, do it with the knowledge that it's perishing. Whatever you spend your time working for. Make sure you're working for eternal things that will last. Because if you spend your life working for things that will perish. They'll do just that. Perish. And you'll be red faced at the end of it all. Knowing that all of this time I worked so hard and got so little. I say that so you won't be ripped off. I say that so you'll be, have a reason to smile. When you give an accounting for your life. That what I did mattered. Now. Now. Maybe you work in the oil patch, maybe you work in the service industry, but the Bible says whatever you do, do is unto the Lord. He'll give you credit for that if you do it unto him. If you make that place your mission field, if you make that place your your opportunity to shine the light of Jesus, then you'll get credit for it. But that paycheck you take home is perishable. Know that. It's okay to have it, but know that it's perishable. It's okay to have the nice car. God may even give you that nice car, but no. It's perishable. It's not worth all your affection. It's not worth all your energy. It's not worth your thoughts and your dreams. Dream higher. Think higher. If that's the thing you pray about, listen, I, I, I am to the core. I know... That my Father supplies everything I need. And I know that it says in 1 Timothy 6 that He gives me all things to enjoy. So don't think I'm attacking that for any minute right now. But I I spent all my life knowing that if I needed something, my Father could get it. And the best thing I could do was give something away. That's the way I was raised. And you know what? It always works. But let me tell you this. If your prayer life is consumed with stuff that you need, you're wasting your prayer life. On stuff that's gonna perish. It should be such a fraction of your prayer life. Because that's stuff that you're not supposed to worry about, Jesus said in Matthew 6. It's stuff you're not supposed to be concerned about that He wants to care about, He wants to take care of. He says, But you seek the kingdom. What does it mean to seek? We talked about this on Sunday. What does it really mean to seek something? That that requires energy, that requires your thoughts. When you're really seeking something, I think you'll dream about it. When you really seek something, you'll daydream and nightdream about it. When you really seek something, you'll talk about it. When you really seek something, that's what you like to think about. Seek the kingdom. And all of this other stuff comes along. It's okay to be obsessed when he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. It's like me saying, just like I said before. It's like me saying... You're obsessed with breathing because you were created to breathe and without breathing you will die. Jesus said you were created you were created for this purpose. In Ephesians it says we were Christ's workmanship created in Him in Christ for good works which He prepared beforehand that we would walk in them." Jesus said He's the He's the vine, and we're the branches, and the father is the vine dresser. and he says, "Apart from me, you can't do anything." Let's read verse 18. He is also the body sorry, he's also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure to, for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him, there's that word again, to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of this cross, through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So listen to that thought. He says, look, your life, you've been reconciled back. You've been brought back to Jesus. You've been brought back to God through Jesus, I should say. All that happened. I mean, you got brought back to the very source and purpose of life. It's okay to be obsessed with that. That's what you're meant to be obsessed with. What's weird is for you not to be. May I just say, once you, when you're walking in darkness, it's not weird to bump into walls. But when you're walking in light, it does get weird. When you're dead, it's not weird that you're not eating. It's weird when you're alive and you're not wanting to eat. Something's wrong. Something's broken. Is it odd that the world doesn't want to get into the Word? No, it's not odd. You're still dead. Is it odd that you don't want to get in the Word? Yeah, that's odd. Something's broken. What happens if you lost all your appetite? What would you do? I mean, you lost, I mean, think about it. You lost your appetite for 30, 40 days, and you didn't plan to fast. You just actually lost your appetite. Would you go to the doctor? Yeah. I mean, you, I, I'm, I'm hoping you'd go to God first. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you don't know what's going on, the normal thing to do is go to the doctor and say, something's wrong. I should be wanting food. If you're not desiring to be in the presence of God, don't be condemned. But something is broken and you can fix it. In fact, the Lord can fix it if you let him. But don't go around thinking that's normal. It's normal for dead people. Don't compare yourself to your coworkers. They're not like you anymore. Don't compare yourself to your relatives. Don't compare yourself to other believers even because the Bible says you compare yourself, you're not wise. Compare yourself to Jesus. Stop thinking you're weird for being obsessed. Stop stop believing the lie that your coworkers and maybe even other Christians told you that you've just taken it too far. I started to tell you and I got off track, but I started to tell you when I was a teenager and just realized, wait a second this is either no big deal at all and I should just do something else or this is real and I should throw myself into it. Because there really is, when you really think it through, there's no other logical solution. Either Jesus is or he isn't. If he isn't, don't keep coming to church. What's your deal? If God doesn't exist, I don't know why you're here. If he does, that's a big deal. If He's real, that requires a lot. If He's real, then everything in this book is real. If Jesus was real, and He really died for you, and He really is the center of the whole universe, He really is the point of all life, He is the purpose of life, then I think that that would be the biggest thing in your life, biggest thing in your schedule, biggest thing in your, in your conversation. So, when I really clicked, me and my buddies got on fire. Thank God I prayed for friends that would be godly because you know you kind of I had friends at school, but i didn 't really have the after school friendship once we really hit junior high. We were great at school we had I got along with a lot of people, but you know what they did after i we would we would have fun sometimes they wanted to go play sports, they wanted to go, but you know i wouldn 't get into the party scene I wouldn 't get into the things they did. Um, that, that really I could not get behind. I, I wasn't just going to be one of those people that showed up at the party and didn't drink and didn't do drugs, because that really doesn't work, in my opinion. So, you lost a lot of that, and I prayed, I said, God, would you give me some godly friends? And he did. And we all experienced the same thing. People, most of the people in our life, because we had been surrounded with good people, <laughs> were so happy to see us on fire for Jesus. But every now and then, you'd come across somebody who used to be like that. And then somewhere deep inside, they felt a little bit of ashamed that they weren't like that anymore. And rather than saying, I remember that and I want to go back there again, they went the other way and tried to dull you down a little bit and make themselves feel better. And they ended up saying things like, you know, I was like that too, but you know, it'll fade. When it does, don't get discouraged. I mean, I remember that passion too. But, that, you know, that goes away. And when that goes away, what are you going to do then? Don't believe those people. Because some of the coolest people in the Bible were old men and women who were on fire for Jesus. Fire for God. And then in the New Testament, fire for Jesus. I mean, some of the coolest, most radical people were like really young and really old. And, I mean, God used all sorts. And and you see guys like Noah that were completely obsessed. Crazy old man building a boat all the time. Abraham is an old man when he leaves his home, his inheritance, his family, all his friends, his job, and starts walking. Where are you going, Abraham? Don't know. God's going to tell me. Well, hasn't he told you already? No. Crazy old man. John. John. Crazy old man John, walking in Ephesus one day, refuses to bow in deference to the statue of Domitian. Gets dragged away, lowered in a boiling vat of oil on the old meat hook. They try to lift his what they expect to be a corpse without skin on, what normally happens when you deep fry somebody. And as they pull him out, he's riding the hook, happy as ever, Crazy old man, John, throw him on an island, an old rocky workplace and just expect him to just get bored and die. Instead, he meets Jesus face to face and has a great revelation of what's going to happen at the end of the world, what happened before the beginning of the world and what happened all in between. Crazy old man, John, I mean, who says you got to dole down? Who says that young people need to run the church because they got fire? Who says we can't all have fire? So, don't be intimidated because you're obsessed. You're normal. What would be weird is to be obsessed with stuff that's just fading away. (laughs) Praise God. The Bible does say we are a peculiar people. But it follows that up by a saying a people for God's own possession. And that's special. And I think that there's nothing better in this life but than to be obsessed with his kingdom, his righteousness, his love, his joy. To live a life like Jesus, Jesus would seem to be obsessed. Because even as in his hobbies, he's bringing God into it. Even as when he's going fishing, he's calling the fish to the boat. He's involving the Father in everything because that's life. He doesn't have work time and on time where now he has to be a preacher and now he gets to be a normal guy. He's just Jesus. And most of the stress in our life, most of the, the parts that really bug us is we're trying to be too many things. But what if you could just be his? What if you could just say, I, I, you know who I am? As Paul said, I am but what I am by the grace of God, and everything I am is Him. It's no longer me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. For I was crucified with I was crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. Now it's just Jesus in me. The most uncomplicated, beautiful life was the life of Jesus Christ, and you can live the same way. Like I said, I warned you going into it. This wasn't going to be complicated. There were not seven keys to do something. There weren't 14 steps to live a certain way. I have one step. Pursue Him with everything. Don't waste your life on anything else. Don't waste your energy, your thoughts, your dreams. Don't waste your conversations. It's okay to talk about sports. It's okay to talk about something else. But you know what? When you're really on fire for Jesus, he's in all of those conversations. I know because I remember when I first got turned on to Jesus, really turned on to Jesus, really on fire, we could talk about anything and God was in it. He came up when we talked about anything.